So you had uh, started talking about um, wisdom at the point of contact. Yeah. And that you're beginning to see that. Uh, you're beginning to see how um, old stuff comes up and contacts us and that um, there are several variables in there. One of the variables is the intensity of the feeling, like, for instance, anxiety. And that, uh, that intensity varies also over time. Mm-hmm. And so it can go up and it can go down over, over time. And that uh, the normal sequence of events for the ordinary person is, is that the anxiety starts at a very, very low level and then starts to build up and build up. And at, um, at some time, and maybe not, they become aware of it, but generally it's at a fairly high level that they do become aware of it. Um, and yet, um, at even a very, very low level, it can affect our behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of that would be someone mentions going to an event, Disneyland or whatever. And uh, the one who hears that will automatically say no or very quickly say no because of uh, some thought that gave them anxiety. For instance, a very flash image of someone falling off of a roller coaster. All right, and then that would be then enough anxiety for them to put up a roadblock and say no without even making any other further um, investigations. Yeah. And so this is how we operate in our lives. It's sometimes low-grade fear will prevent us from looking at it to, to make sure that it's perhaps not fearful at all. Mm-hmm. In the example, I'm not recommending roller coasters, but I am saying that falling out of one is quite rare. And therefore, that needs to be looked at. That many of our fears, and, and we actually use that language, fears and anxieties, because anxiety is nothing but the expression of fear. The difference between it is that generally when we're afraid and call it fear, we know what it is that we're afraid of. And when it's anxiety, we're not quite sure of why it's there. Yeah. Okay. So um, anxiety also, how do I say it? We get used to it. Yeah, that's been kind of my experience. It feels almost kind of like background or like kind of fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Background noise, exactly. Uh, And if you understand uh, radio electronics, um, this is what we call uh, static or interference. And that um, for sure, it's not signal. 
We could, in fact, go so far as to call, uh, using Dhamma language, that this is investigation. The investigation that we need to do is the signal. And yet, what we receive is signal plus noise. <clears throat> yeah, so it's like, okay, like if we sit down to meditate, um, you can, you notice like there's some anxiety, but like, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know, maybe there's some fuzziness, there's just like a general feeling of unease. Mm -hmm. um, and then you like take a couple deep breaths and you notice that there's like, I don't know, tension in the back of the neck or in the top of the head or something like that. Um, so is that more like the signal, whereas like the interference would be like that feeling like when you're not awake, where it's just like more hazy or just kind of like you don't really know what's going on, the kind of ignorance, I guess. Right. We could even go so far as to use another term for it, which would be the blahs. Yeah. Okay. Blahs, yeah. Feel, we feel, um, how to say it? It's not that, uh, in some cases, we could think of the blahs as just having low energy. But another way of looking at it is, is that, well, the energy is kind of there. It's just that there's something that's preventing it. Kind of like a words, there's a hurdle. Yeah. Um, and that fear, and the hurdle is that fear um, or anxiety. And so... Um, Looking at it from the perspective that we get used to it means that people are not really paying attention to it, nor do they know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. But when we're um, Dhamma dudes, we have to understand that uh, we're taking on a kind of a new responsibility of investigation to see really what's going on. Uh, rather than uh, going down the old habit patterns of the mind. Now, um, while I was talking to a student several days ago, we, I started using an analogy that seems to fit really well in this case, too. And the analogy is, is that normal people in a normal lifestyle uh, walking into, say, the mall or uh, past a shop uh, that like Dunkin' Donuts. They sell donuts, and everybody likes donuts. And so people will uh, like and buy uh, donuts and eat them. But now let's look at the idea that we're going on a diet. Now, um, we can think of the diet that the dieter goes on is similar to the restraint that uh, the bhikkhu or the dhamma dude is putting himself into to restrain things. Um, and so the ordinary person looks at the donut as delicious. The guy who's going on the diet also sees the donut as delicious. Yeah. Maybe even more so. But he also, if he's actually going to practice what he's doing, he's going to also see the danger in that donut. Yeah. 
There is danger in that donut. It's a dangerous thing. That's why we're re, uh, refraining from it or um, restraining ourselves from it. This is also true that our old habit patterns are also kind of delicious. An example of that would be um, anger. Anger and anxiety are related, but anger seems for some people to be far more delicious. <laughs> um, we're used to doing it, and so um, we don't we don't see the danger in it because we have the attraction to it. In this sense, we're using the word delicious. Is that kind of like the delight that you're talking about? A couple of weeks ago? No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, the delight that we're talking about is actually look look at the the word itself and you will see light is the prominent word in delight. Okay, I was thinking it might have been Buddha Dasa or somebody, but I thought they were using delight to refer to like um either He's a version in a or different Okay, he's using mind. a he's using a Thai word that he doesn't quite uh, know the English well enough, and Santa oh, Carlo okay. was using the word delight, and so we can use the word delight in that way. I'm using it in a different way. You asked me how okay. I used it. Okay, how Sorry, Santa yeah, Carlo is using the word is differently, and the way that he's using it is exactly this delicious. Is delightful to us in the old way of ignorance, not seeing the danger in it. Yeah. The way that I use delight is like delight in the Dhamma, which is lightweight, free, yeah. open, uh, not heavy. And the donut itself, eating the donut, then uh, might be a delightful taste, but it's not light, <laughs> it's heavy. The same thing is true. Okay, so another example would be um, the Internet, especially in America, uh, because of politics or whatever, seems quite confrontational. Everybody's um, uh, yelling at everybody else. And so we can say that under, underneath the writing of those emails, now if somebody's really, really angry, he can't write. He can't yeah. post. If somebody's really, really angry, they they can't uh, do it very well. So we're talking about a kind of a low grade, but in fact, people when they're angry and typing uh, like that, they feel a sense of power. Like you want to be angry. Like it, it feels, yes. yeah, like you powerful. Like or, right, you like angry. Better than feeling I, like, uh, like, I don't know like the victim or something like that. It, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's delicious. Being yeah. right, powerful, and angry feels delicious. But that's the normal way that people look at it because of the way they feel. They're not really doing the investigation to recognize that that anger is dangerous. Okay, now we can also apply that same point to anxiety. Yeah. To begin to see that the way that we've been living our lives, this anxiety is habit, 
we do it um, because there's some value in it. There's some delicious quality to it that we take. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say we take delight in it, but that um, it becomes a habit. Yeah, well, okay, I guess like if anger is like a pull towards it, like at least in my experience, anxiety is like a push away from that feeling. Like you don't want to feel scared. Um, so you would like ignore it or like suppress it or something like that. In that, like if, if I take a couple of deep breaths, like I can feel like the fear or whatever more intently and that is uncomfortable. So it's like, oh, mm -hmm. it's better to just be like not awake. Um, yeah. Is there like a push and a pull there? Like, with what you're talking about, so like some like something like anger could be like, ooh, we want that versus like anxiety or fear, like we don't want to feel fear, so we try to like push it away, but it still gets like caught in the back of our mind. Um, or is there still some like pull or attraction that you're getting at? Yes, yes, okay. okay. I'm I'm looking at a way of how to describe the fact that that pushing it away actually creates and builds it up. Mm -hmm. um, that's the delicious quality is, is yeah. that we're stuck in it, but we don't know what to do to reverse it. And so it tends to get built into what could refer to as high anxiety, which then would be noticeable tension. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I see. That uh, people's bodies will uh, ex express that. Um, the arms will flail and other things like this. And if someone is in that state and practicing Dhamma, then that should be the, uh, the key for the investigation in the sense of the agitation has gotten so strong that it's now affecting movements of the body. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I like the expression, all dressed up and no place to go. All dressed up and no place to go. How so? Well, anxiety means that we're kind of frozen in fear. We're all dressed up with this anxiety, but there's nothing that we can do oh. with it. As yeah. opposed to anger, which is kind of the flip of it, is is that when when we're angry, boy, do we have some place to go? Yeah. They were going to take that anger and run with it to where with the anxiety, we kind of get get frozen. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still go ahead. There's a deliciousness to that. There's a being in that state. Mm -hmm. There's a deliciousness to that, but that deliciousness can be overwritten with the wisdom of recognizing that this is dangerous. And it's also in a way of saying that the body-mind complex at a very deep, deep level of, um, uh, let us say, when I'm talking about a deep level, I'm talking about a, uh, a neurophysiological chemical system mm -hmm. um, that normally, uh, or let us say the easy way to see it is that we talk ourselves into it, that the guy is just sitting there, perhaps he's sitting there watching television and he sees something on television that reminds him of something. Mm -hmm. 
And so he will sit there with what he's reminded of and work himself up. This is actually easy to do if what he was watching was something politics. And he works himself up into a great anxiety. Oh, my con- oh my um, candidate is going to lose. Oh, he's going to lose. Oh, he's going to lose. I don't know what to do about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That in fact, when anxiety gets high enough, you can see that it's the same experience or the feeling of a cornered animal. That in fact, um, anxiety could be described that way, that we feel cornered. Yeah. And so that uh, we want to protect ourselves and lash out, but we don't quite know how to do that. So we kind of flail around a bit. Um, And you can see how that would happen if someone thought that their candidate was going to lose. They don't have a clue about what to do about it. That in fact, you can go so far as to say when the candidate knows that he's losing, he becomes like a cornered animal begins to act out and do things that make his ca- his uh, campaign worse off, not better off. Sure. So this is what we mean by the delicious quality of it is, is that we're forced into doing things that we don't have to do. Now, I'm using it as a, as a great big example, like a candidate losing an election or a cornered animal and that kind of stuff. But let's take it back to the really subtle level. Because those feelings can come up and that they can come up in, like I was saying, two kinds of ways. One is, is that we can kind of talk ourselves into it. Sure. Um, I use that example uh, with students in meditation of, look, you talked yourself into feeling bad all of these years. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we actually talk ourselves into anxiety sometimes. We talk ourselves into it from the concept of, let us say, having a problem to solve, and we don't have any pro- we don't have any solution to it. We don't feel satisfied with it, uh, which is different than anger because we feel a certain satisfaction in calling him a, an MF or an F. <laughs> whatever like that so there's some satisfaction that we gain with the anger but with anxiety there's that confusion that's built into it we don't know what to do we don't know where to go yeah it's as yeah there's like a not really a anywhere to put it as where it's like anger it's like yeah you can go like tweet at somebody or something or like Mm -hmm. complain but the anxiety is just kind of yeah there's no outlet. It's like kind of just frozen, like a scared animal. Mm-hmm. Or another example of that would be the posture that we would go to to express anxiety would be going into the fetal position, perhaps with our hands wrapped around our head for protection, like incoming. Yeah. Okay, like you're incoming. Squeeze up like that. All right, so that's the ultimate posture for anxiety is to shut down, uh, uh, to worry more about where, what we can do about it, recognizing that we can't do anything about it. And that in this regard, the best thing to do then 
is to stop looking at it from the perspective of danger coming from the outside world and seeing that the danger is actually coming from within. Yeah. Okay. Now, the second kind of anxiety, not the kind that we talk ourselves into, but there's another kind of anxiety that can also be referred to as just low-level anxiety that we don't we don't have actual thoughts associated with it, but the thoughts are, that we do have are certainly not helping this. So one sure. would be that the, the thoughts lead and then the anxiety follows. And the other one is, is the anxiety comes up and then the thoughts follow. Both of these are possible. And that also we can see that the thoughts then have a whole lot to do with the anxiety and that we can change the anxiety by changing the thoughts. Yeah. In but, both cases? In both cases. Oh, yeah, because we'd be, yeah, if we think, well, I mean, yeah, if we think or like we add the, the Sankara, is that the right way to use that? Or if we add to the context that we're like uh -huh. entering the, um, it depend on origination in or like then uh -huh. it would change the outcome it changed the mental right. image we're coming up with exactly so you can see it this way then imagine that the car is pulling a trailer if the thoughts are pulling the anxiety then we can actually take the car and tr and go someplace else to take the anxiety someplace else mm -hmm. there's also the situation that if the anxiety if the thought uh, excuse me, if the anxiety is pulling the thought, then if the thoughts overturn, it will also overturn the uh, the car. If the trailer turns over, if the, ta if the trailer has a, tr you know, like, um, how to say it, the big rig, they uh, have a folding knife pattern, whatever like that, that the trailer actually does have a lot of power once it's in motion. Yeah. Okay, so this is why we're saying that in that regard, the thoughts are what we can control. But um, by controlling the thoughts, then that deeper anxiety that is actually a chemical system in the body will be uh, modified and repaired. So an example um, of the chemicals that are associated with that uh, and I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> I don't think anybody's even actually worked this out, but we do know that anxiety and anger and um, these kinds of emotions are associated with chemicals like um, cortisol and um, adrenaline. And that adrenaline is fairly short-lived and cortisol can build up. Mm-hmm. We also know of brain chemicals like um, uh, tryptophan, dopamine, and serotonin. And that they're almost mutually exclusive. Uh, one of them comes, uh, one group comes out of the adrenaline gland. That's the cortisol and the adrenaline. And that's, uh, um, like I said, the adrenaline is short-lived. But both of these things are pumped out of the adrenaline gland, which is located right above the kidneys. Mm -hmm. There's also a chemical pathway that is almost like a straight wire 
from the reptilian brain in the penal and pituitary gland uh, system right down to the adrenal gland. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that knowledge, then we can recognize, oh, all we need to do then is tra- change the part of the brain that is actually giving off those bodily chemicals, while at the same time we can do things with the body that is going to help release those chemicals. An example would be, is to take a hike, to walk away, yeah, to get up and walk away. Um, often we do that uh, when we're uh, sitting at a desk and intention and uh, frustration anxiety and all of that and we can go walk to the bathroom and come back and in that walking to the bathroom uh, quite a lot of that adrenaline stuff is now absorbed into the muscles burned off and is now the stuff that the blood can throw out but that that adrenaline if you just turn the switch off on it of the in the adrenaline gland then it will slowly dissipate and what we mean by dissipate is is that adrenaline is a, is a complex amino acid system. I'm not a physicist. I'm just talking in generalities from what I what I've read and understand about my own body. That when the adrenaline begins to break down, then it goes back into the bloodstream as a kind of a poison in the blood. And if we can get that blood uh, cleaned out, then uh, the, the, the adrenaline that's breaking down in the body can get more out. This is where the breathing comes in, because the kind of poisons that um, are the residue of the breaking down of adrenaline and cortisol actually are small enough molecules so that they can come out in the breathing. Yeah, so we can perspire them. Um like through our lungs. You can fire, um, you can go through the lungs, and the kidneys will pick this up and, and put it out. Yeah. But so in it's... fact, the, the lungs and the kidneys work together to where the, the lungs do the small work and the kidneys do the big work. Mm-hmm. So and, it's... Go ahead. I was, it's like, yeah, it's like feedback system, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, like there's something going on inside of our body where it's like stress can build up through the cortisol or like being a response to the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we can if we notice that, like we notice we're anxious, we can go for a walk. That would be one way to be like aware of what's going on. Or we mm-hmm. could take a deep breath Taking because that would be breath. a way to like get, you know, like help the byproducts get out of your body. Like that makes sense. Or like even if you're just like getting more oxygen just to like, I don't know, give your muscles and and everything what it needs Um, about 30 years ago i recognized that connection and i have been successfully not just using it but marveling in it and that is is that if you feel tired or anxiety or you feel anger or you feel blahs or whatever that almost all of them can be cured after three or four deep breaths. And that would be breathing with the feeling, or like, I guess, breathing with the point of contact, probably. Right. What what the, the style is, is that notice it well, 
Keep watching it. Watch the body. This is very much um, uh, coming out of the Goenka system. Yeah. Is that you notice it. You watch, you can feel that anxiety or the tension in the chest or whatever. Then, in fact, the number of different sensations in the body are probably smaller than the number of words that we use to describe those sensations. Yeah, well, and yeah, so when I'm talking about them. I'm talking about them in words, but that we're pointing back to a set of sensations in the body that have to do with these chemicals that have come into the body. And that for some people, it's almost like that there's a drip, drip, drip of adrenaline all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they're a little bit uptight, a little bit tense. And not only that, but for those people, turning that valve of anxiety or, or adrenaline on is very easy to do because yeah. they're in the habit of it. And uh, going back to their, because they're in the habit of it, that's the normal operation. Or you could go so far as to call that, that's delicious. It's delicious to turn on that adrenaline to work ourselves up, to get angry or whatever. And so we have to recognize how dangerous that is, even for the body. That is, um, that the adrenaline um, complex of the body was designed originally as a self-preservation instinct. Yeah. When, when When you're in a state of danger, sick years ago and you were in a state of danger you would first freeze assess the situation and then you either fight or flight that's what the adrenaline is for is for the fight or the flight but here we are sitting at our desk and and anxiety comes up and we just sit there at the desk <laughs> there with the anxiety yeah, going back to the relationship between like breathing in and out and that feeling of anxiety. Um, okay, so say that like I'm anxious and then I do a little bit of investigation. Right? There's, there's like some tightness in my chest. Um, and so like I do a couple deep breaths um, and you can notice that like that feeling in the chest is not as like rock solid as it was. It can kind of like ebb and flow with the breath. Um, it will actually it can actually go up and down in the sense that taking that first deep breath or two is when we really get in touch with that anxiety that it's there. But after the three or four breaths, we can begin to watch it dissipate. We can see it breaking up. We can see that yeah. this breath is is now cleaning out the blood enough so that more of the adrenaline can get broken down and put into the blood. And after four, five, six breaths, Unless we're doing things with the mind to keep the adrenaline stuff pumping. If, so we got two jobs. One is to stop the pumping, stop the production of the adrenaline, and then two, get rid of or dissipate the, the adrenaline that we've already pumped, out, uh, pumped up. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way I'd been looking at it is like, um, it feels like you're, like there's a real threat like if you're anxious, like it feels like there's a real fear or like a real reason to be afraid. Um, but then if you look at it, I guess kind of going back to what you're saying of like, right. Oh, let's just get it, more data. Recognize you're safe. There's nothing really uh, to fear for. There is yeah, nothing like, in the room that you need to get up and run away from. 
yeah, it makes sense that there's a physical aspect in that. Yeah, we're able to like flush out some of the, um, I don't know, like perspire some of these like, um, I don't know, with the adrenal or like the byproducts of having like adrenaline and cortisol pumping through your body. But like that there's also just some like, oh, like this isn't as real as I thought it was or like there's not as, there's the value isn't really there. Mm -hmm. um, and then that kind of helps you keep a neutral frame or like helps you not. And upon reflection, we can recognize that perhaps we worked ourselves into this state. Yeah. That we let it build up. Yeah, that, well, I mean, uh, I'm not anxious when I sleep. <laughs> um, I noticed that I, I woke up out of a dream and I could like see the anxiety like manifest. It was real weird the other day. Actually, yes, the uh, uh, that's what dreaming does is that the dreaming actually. Um, they say that dreaming is as working on the unfinished business of the day, or it may be the unfinished business of many days, but it's working out the un. Uh, but it's the dream that we're having then is actually not working it out. It's just working on. Then that working on it is very much like the cornered animal. Yeah. And so and you can actually wake up out of a dream in, in such tension that they even call it a cold sweat. Yeah, well, yeah, it was like, you know, I was dreaming and like the bad things were happening, but I wasn't really awake or like there was no connection between how I was feeling and what was going on in the screen. Um, and then like, yeah, I started waking up because the dream got crazier. And then, yeah, it was like kind of like a fire, like igniting of like, and it's like, oh, like there's the anxiety that I feel pretty normally, like I feel every day. But mm -hmm. it, it just so happens that like, because I was waking up through it, that um, I don't know, it's almost like kind of conscious of it not being there for a second, which is kind of funny. Um, not super important, but just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, we do kind of work ourselves up. So when I'm asleep, like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not fired up about this. And when I wake this up, is... I am fired up about it. <laughs> Excellent. OK, this is an important point, And you mentioned it, uh, which we have to work with on the other side there will be times when you don't have anxiety. Yeah. And you should be aware of those also from time to time. But hey, there's no anxiety right now. I feel really good. Yeah. This is, this is actually the quality then of actually recognizing and giving ourselves credit for the third noble truth, that this is actually now in this moment, we're free from suffering. We're free from this anxiety. It's not always there. Like, I know I talked to you before and I've said, oh, it's just like always there. But, you know, if you pay attention, it's not always there. It's not always truth. there. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And uh, it feels quite a relief when we recognize, oh, yeah, 10 minutes ago I was full of anxiety and right now I'm not. Yeah. Now let's, let's reflect upon what happened. Did I take a few deep breaths? Did I get some exercise? Did I go walking? Did I do something? What's the cause of the not being anxiety? Yeah, or what is the what cause happens? or what, what happened so that we can see that there was anxiety and now there's not? This yeah. is the really, this is how we use or put into practice the teachings from the Buddha of Sunyata, of emptiness. Sometimes there is anxiety and sometimes we're empty of anxiety when you have to note the emptiness of it as well as to note it's there. And by 
when you say it's note that it's not there. Okay, so like maybe. Okay, so like I guess anxiety is kind of complicated. There could be like physical factors and there could be mental factors. Mm -hmm. um, are you saying like the absence, like notice the absence, like, oh, like physically, like I'm relaxed, but like maybe there's some like I'm thinking that I'm anxious or are you just talking about like all of it's gone? Whenever you remember to, to okay, whenever you remember. Yeah, sorry, that was a bad question. I see. What you mean. <laughs> that's just yes. Um, that's one of the things that I see that is a very, very common issue for Westerners is that they um, they get into a time frame of always or constant or whatever like that. But when we really begin to uh, to look at the Dhamma, it's always in the here now. What's happening right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. The only reason why I say it's always been here was because I wasn't paying attention to it when it wasn't. Yeah. You weren't paying attention to it when it wasn't there. When it wasn't you only there. You pay attention to it when it's anxious. We only pay yeah. attention to it when it's there. So like and if so I'm reading... It's the illusion that it's there all the time. Yeah. Guess what? There's a whole bunch of stuff that's like that, including I mean, the self. The self comes and goes. I guess when like it's people say when we were thinking about it, just to kind of like I guess like steel man that like when people say they like are always anxious, I guess they mean when they're whenever they like, think of it, whenever when they, they notice, recognize that there's there, but they don't know that there uh, that is not always there. Uh, wouldn't I mean? I guess like wouldn't it be more fair to say that like it always feels like there's anxiety in the context of like how they're looking at things? So like, mm, yes. Uh, yeah, so like, um, yeah, I get that, like, yeah, there, I mean, it's awesome, like, we should notice when it's not there, but um, mm -hmm. I guess if you're anxious enough, then that's, like, constantly going to be feeding into your context, and I guess maybe we'd be in a state of where, like, where we're, like, awaiting, or what's that called, like, where you're awaiting to be birthed or whatever, um, like, you're waiting to what? Like, you're waiting for something to latch on to where you're not like um, in anger, you're not in anxiety, but you're just kind of in that uneasy middle ground. Um, I guess you would still have like Looking consciousness. Looking for something to feel bad for. Yeah. That's what I mean by the quality of the delicious donut. <laughs> yeah. But like, aren't we in that quite that a bit? Get, like, yeah, we get attracted to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we get attracted to those bad feelings and we're actually looking for it rather than uh, changing that mentality to start looking at, um, looking at it in the moment. Am am I uh, anxiety right now, or am I free from anxiety right now? <laughs> Another one would be consciousness, because everybody has the idea that consciousness is always there. Even in the Hindu teaching, they say that it's consciousness that roams from this life to the next, receiving the, the fruits and benefits of past actions, right? The Buddha says, oh no, consciousness is dependently arising. Yeah. Okay, well, so is anxiety. It's dependently arising. And so mm -hmm. is um, the self. It's dependently arising. When the conditions for the self are there, then there is selfishness. When there is no conditions for it there, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. This is such a profound teaching of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. 
this idea of causality because if there's not the cause there then the effect is not there mm -hmm. and so understanding those points of time when uh consciousness moves from object to object during the movement from one object to the next there's no consciousness one object to the next there's no consciousness there's no consciousness between one object and the next that it yes. has to switch okay um a clear example of that uh that i've run across is put some text on the screen and read that text and then uh while while you're having that text on the screen go to another web page or app or something and bring up uh, uh dialogue or discussion or um talking an example would be a movie or a, a news program or a documentary or something and then you have another page and so what you're actually doing now is can you listen to what's being said and read what you're reading at the same time the answer is no mm -hmm. you can't you can read a line or a little bit and then hear and then read some more and then hear and then read some more and then hear and in fact that's a really good um, skill to be developed is to easily switch back and forth between hearing and seeing okay and so you're saying like okay between objects there's nothing so like um one object could be like something you're angry at or like one object could be like anger one object could be anxiety um, and we could be flitting back and forth between those like throughout mm -hmm. the day or something like that exactly. and so that like if we recognize we're in anger then if we, like even that would be kind of like oh well i'm not in anxiety anymore like it's not constant okay i would um, go so far as to say the major difference between anxiety and anger is the attitude that yeah, with mean, the anger is more of an attitude of i'm going to take care of that and the anxiety is more of oh no <laughs> all right and so um perhaps a better uh tool to use would be uh rather than moving back and forth between anger and anxiety is moving back and forth between those kind of states and being free from them okay yeah and, and you were bringing up the hearing um hearing words versus like seeing words mm -hmm. um, it's like an example of like switching between objects because i guess like yeah that's like different senses because so it would also be like senses, that and then the absence is, is a, even a more clear difference there's a changeover oh there's a changeover in between them where there's it's neither yeah there's a changeover in that changeover then there's nothing happening mm -hmm. um, i mean it's so i mean doesn't this kind of mean like if you looked close enough there would be nothing there. I mean, like, because you're saying There's that there gap. has to be, yeah, there has to be a gap because we're kind of looking at like a, the slideshows, like the objects that we're going in between. And that would kind of like give the experience that we call like, I guess, I don't know, life or like consciousness or whatever we're going through. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, so yeah, if you would look close enough, there's like no comparison. There's no delta between like, oh, I was feeling like, this way you know a second ago and now i'm feeling this way so there kind of like wouldn't be a feeling there almost i kind of said that poorly but well, if you look close enough and there's only like zero inputs i guess like if there's no sankara 
something. I mean, there would kind of necessarily be nothing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that right. Okay. Let's look at it um, kind of this way. Um, people, uh, especially beginners in Buddhism, have the idea that um, equanimity is kind of a neutral state and um, uh, easygoing and all of that. Um, but that gives them the idea that they can be, let us say this is that steady state place and that they're down in anxiety and they think that the easy way to do it is just to come up to that and now you're finished. But that it never works that way. It never works that way. The reason that it doesn't work that way is because the old habit is to be down below. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I just brought that up. And so if we can come up to zero, uh, we're going to fall back to, z uh, to negative very easily. No, I don't. And, I mean, so, okay. and so another way of looking at it is, is that the Dhamma practice is actually we have to come out of the negative and come up into the positive and recognize that things are in cycles. Yeah. But that we have a choice over what part of that cycle that we're going to be in. In other words, if we are in the bottom part of the cycle in anxiety, um, uh, anger, or whatever, then baseline zero should not be the place that we're, um, uh, uh, that's not the goal. Yeah. The goal yeah. would be to gladden the mind, to brighten the mind, to bring it up. To, change, to go to the other part of the cycle so that we get some positive energy going. Mm -hmm. And if you can think of it like that, then if, the, if this is the ultimate goal, then you can't be down here and come up to that and rest. But you can come up and then upward like this. And then on this downward slope, that's when it comes to rest. It always... Okay. And that uh, physics has figured that out with even uh, uh, waveforms. Okay, and that the top part that you're talking about, that's like, we're talking about point of contact, right? Um, actually, I was thinking more of the, um, uh, the feeling that we have at any particular moment in time. Oh, sorry. So like anxiety, like we can notice that like if we watch anxiety, it's like, oh, like we're anxious, like we feel really bad. Then like there's a line where it's I guess neutral and then we don't like really feel anxious. We would right. like to notice that and kind of emphasize that like upper part. Um, and so by doing that, like we remember like, oh, this isn't all the time. Like right. So that we we spend a lot of our time on that upper part of the cycle of gladdening the mind, of letting mm -hmm. things be really nice. I'm satisfied. Once I become really satisfied with things, then it will come back to that steady state. But we can't get to that steady state from a negative state. We can't oh, go yeah. from net, from minus 10 to zero and let that be. It's not going to happen that way. We need to go from a minus 10 to a plus 100 <laughs> and then let the 100 come down to zero. That's a, another way of looking at it um, is, is that um, our, our balance or our neutral state is going to be reachable from a positive state, but it's not reachable on the long term from a negative state. Yeah, I see what you mean. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So we have to actually balance that negative out with a positive energy of yes, allowing we- ourselves to feel really good. So here's how we do that in actual operation. I'm sitting here full of anxiety. I recognize the anxiety. And I say, aha, I see you, anxiety. And that's the first upward part of the curve. Now we're taking it back up. Aha, I see you, anxiety. And while I'm taking that in-breath, I'm checking, where is that anxiety? How do I feel it? Is there tightness in this Mm in-breath? If there is, let me experience that tightness as if I'm um, breaking it up. In other words, there's a point in normal balloons when once it comes up to that point, if you break it, if you uh, put more pressure on, it's going to bust it. Well, that's kind of the way that we're looking at the anxiety is that we're going to fully breathe into it to allow that real heavy tightness in the chest to be there. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, and then we look at it, we watch it, and then we let it out. That, and then with the relief, the sigh, the ah, and yeah, a lot of that tension will leak right out. Okay, just like now a balloon that is easier to blow up the second time once it's been blown up before. Now the second time we take that breath, that tension or anxiety is not so strong anymore, but it's still there. And then we take a nice sigh. And while we're doing that, you can see all this body chemistry stuff is changing. I'm changing the physical chemistry of the body through the breathing. Mm-hmm. That an out-breath actually uh, lowers the pH. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say just the out-breath, but the concept of breathing in and out, you know that one of the primary ingredients that comes out of the lungs is carbon dioxide. Yeah. All right. What is carbon dioxide mixed with water? Uh, carbonic acid. Aha. Okay. So when you're breathing out the carbon dioxide that's been building up, you're changing the pH level of the of the of the blood. Yeah. Um if you can I, recognize that, you can say, wait a minute, that means that all kinds of good things are happening when we're taking those deep breaths, that we can release a whole lot more of that, those acids than just the carbon dioxide, that you can get rid of the adrenaline too, that we can actually feel that stuff breaking up, the blood moving it out, the, uh, the lungs taking it in as well as energizing the blood, making more oxygen available, which the oxygen then is going to help break down more of those amino acids. And so, so it's a very with, positive cycle, this deep breathing. So with that um, in-breath that you're talking about, like where we notice, um, like, okay, there's some tightness in the chest, we're gonna like experience that on our in-breath, but we're gonna be positive. Um, and then kind of like, I guess, Think ha- or be happy, like um, like when you breathe out. Um, so, I guess what I'm wondering, like, okay, when we do that deep breath in, we notice. I I feel like we don't we aren't like really aware of that tightness generally. Like if I'm anxious, like I'm not aware that there's like it's you know it's actually centered in my chest or something like that. Um, and then when we feel it, there's like an intensity. Yeah, there's like an intensity that kind of arises when we pay attention to it. I guess. Um, and so there's like that upswell that you're talking about, like 
we're hitting rock bottom and then we're like going back up on the release we're like ah or like uh you know thinking happy thoughts or being positive on the way out mm-hmm. um yeah so i guess like yeah that, i mean that makes sense that's it works i mean i believe you i mean that's kind of what i've been playing around with you've already know. gotten the experience of it happening yeah any, any more practice but yeah it's like you can i don't know i guess like the intensity in the beginning was what worried me because mm-hmm. like it can feel very intense i guess so like for certain parts of the body um i don't know like i okay now here's how we can deal with that that intent the um the intensity of it built up but you only became aware of it when it had reached a certain level of intensity mm-hmm. now that you're um practicing watching this you're going to get good at seeing it before it gets so intense it can be just a tiny little bit of anxiety and still you can take a deep breath and be free from that yeah all right but in fact it's the intensity that's kind of let us say uh my dog just ran it <laughs> mindfulness and intensity are inversely proportional they're intent they're inversely related mindfulness and intensity are inversely related mm-hmm. i would expect like with more mindfulness the intensity goes up no, no. With it, with mindfulness, the sooner you can catch that anxiety, then it's not gotten intense yet because your mindfulness is very good. Oh, mindfulness, generally speaking. You, yes. wake, you wake up sooner. You don't have to yeah. let it grow and build and get intense and work yourself up. You can sometime in that loop, you can wake up. This is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, and so so it does build up kind of in the body. Like, I guess, like, it it feels like there's a location sometimes. And I guess, (laughs) like, what I was just wondering is that, or, like, it feels like, you know, the anxiety is building up back of the head or, like, in the chest or something. And, like, when I'm aware, it's very intense in those places. And then, you know, after I take a couple deep breaths, it'll be less intense. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it'll be able to, like, process. And then the next day, you know, maybe it's even less intense. Right. so be mindful of that or keep watching or keep investigating that in fact it is getting less intense is it okay to uh think about it with like respect to the location in the body like um i feel like this is kind of an illusion or something like that because of the way like um the five aggregates work at some point um in that like if you were able to be aware before like your mind has created the image of your body in your head then it would probably feel a lot different or like the um you know the pre i guess what i'm saying is like the precursors of that anxiety wouldn't feel like it's in your chest maybe it would feel like something else precisely, um, precisely. but it's okay like at where i'm at to be able to think about it in a way that's like okay yeah, it's like yeah i do feel it in my chest like and i'm gonna relax like i don't have mm-hmm. to be too worried about like oh i'm thinking about my body exactly okay. all right so in that regard you can say that um the anxiety will manifest itself in different ways, depending upon your um, your wakefulness and your ability to investigate. Mm-hmm. But when someone is brand new to this game and also uh, one who has spent years in anxiety, 
he will have to go to a very high level of anxiety before he wakes up to it because he's so used to having it. That's it but yeah. as he progresses, the more he practices, especially he, if he has that strong determination or the intensity um, of um, intention to deal with this anxiety. Mm-hmm. See, in the beginning, we kind of feel overwhelmed with it. And when we begin to practice uh, Anapanasati, we're not really sure whether it's going to work or not. And so we're going to approach it ho-hum. But after we get real success at it, that builds up what we call in the Pali language shraddha or confidence. And when we have the confidence, I can deal with anxiety, that anxiety. Now we're um, much more, let us say, out on the hunt for it. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we're going to find it easier because we're actually out looking for it. And that we're out looking for it because we've had the success of dealing with it. All right. So the analogy then would be that here I am sitting in my house at home and anxiety is like a wild animal that comes and is growling outside my window. And I'm very afraid of that animal. All right. But mm-hmm. once I start uh, getting the tools to deal with that, that animal that's at my door, now I've got the confidence that I can actually leave the house and go out looking for those animals. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's kind of goes back to the mindfulness. As mindfulness increases, intensity probably decreases. And so in that regard, the mindfulness increases and the intensity decreases because you can catch it earlier. Yeah. You can catch it quicker. Mm-hmm. You can deal with it easier. And so in that regard, the Dharma becomes easier to do the faster you are at catching these things before they grow out of proportion. Yeah. And so, uh, like, when you say, like, um, there's that kind of positivity, like, in the Sai, when you do the example, um, I guess, like, um, okay, inhale, like, we can feel, like, really be aware of the feeling that we're having on the exhale. Um is it okay to think about kind of the opposite of like whatever that feeling is? So like, I think sometimes it, you know, anxiety feels like a tightness. Uh-huh. So maybe I'll think of like lightness, lightness like a light looseness. feeling in the chest, a looseness right. in the chest or like, um, mm-hmm. you know, a movement or like fluidity as opposed to like, just a, like a rock. Um, right. That's another way that uh, the anxiety is a rock when we start playing with it and now it becomes fluid. It yeah. Becomes or like movable. Okay, so we can in- inject kind of those like positive attitudes or like that's exactly the right thing to do is inject gotcha. that right attitude. Yeah, we can okay. do this. right. After, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, okay. right. That anxiety is not a rock. Yeah, it's movable. I can play with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not solid. It's a liquid. It's not um, stuck. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and another way is is that uh, it's not a rock. I can put a spoon in it, and take a spoonful out and flick it away. Yeah. Okay, so these are various ways that we can have the imagery that we can deal with this stuff. Mm-hmm. We can get rid of this one little bit at a time, one little breath at a time, and become free from anxiety. And in the in that way, you can 
uh, like judge with each breath. As you're monitoring your breathing, you can say, oh, yeah, this uh, anxiety, 90 percent anxiety, 85 percent anxiety, 50 percent, 50 percent is a lot of anxiety, but it's going down. Yeah. Yeah, we could be like appreciative that it's, you know, you know, not the way it was a day ago mm-hmm. or like even at the beginning of the when we started taking deep breaths, be like, oh, like, yeah, this isn't as it's not like constant. It's not permanent. It's not permanent. Ha! Exactly so. Yeah. That in fact, that's the that's part of the delusion that we have about anxiety is, is that it's got me. Yeah, I mean, it feels it, I mean, yeah, it has felt very like pervasive and like can't shake it for a long time, but that's being the cornered animal. Yeah. But now you're beginning to recognize, no, you're not cornered. You can get up. You can take care of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that you've got several tools to deal with it. We have one is that we can get up and take a walk. Number two, we can do deep breathing. Number three, we can literally talk ourselves out of it. So we have these three ways of dealing with anxiety. But the way that we're not going to deal with it is give it any power any more than it already has. Yeah. And and that's what happens with a lot of people. They want to know, well, what's the source of this anxiety? And then they start digging down in it. But that's not actually getting rid of the anxiety. It's just that they're trying to figure out what the source of it is. Yeah, you can dig in and solve a bad attitude. uh And just like think that it's there. It's like, oh, yeah, that's where it is. It's stuck. Yeah, there it is. It's stuck and I don't know what to do with it, but I'll work on it. And okay. (laughs) And so with Anapanasati, this aha, I see you anxiety is actually the very first step in coming right out of it. Mm -hmm. Is to recognize that it's there and that it is, let us say, a newly arrived unwanted guest. Yeah. As opposed to the resident. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not in control. It's not in control. Yeah, not it's just like a phenomena of like, yeah. As long as I was running away from it and letting it chase me, it was in control. Mm-hmm. So long so, as I was cornered, it was in control. I guess like we also shouldn't be one thing that, <laughs> you know, the downswing that you're talking about, like we go up and then we go back down, but we want to emphasize, you know, the good feelings at the top. Mm-hmm. I get kind of demotivated when I go back down to that. Down. I think I'm supposed to be able to like sustain the good, like the good feelings through my meditation. But that's, it seems like what you're saying, that's kind of just part of the process. Like it's going to take, you know, some cycles back and forth or like, mm-hmm. in, you know, I guess. want to take a lot of cycles. Make the highs, make the lows lower and the, like the highs higher, I guess. Actually, or, no, see the lows quicker. See the lows quicker. And so you can turn it up so that uh, instead of going so low, we can turn it up to so high. Oh, so it's just like the frequency, like, you know, as soon as it goes below into negativity, you're like, oh, like, aha. I got you. Aha. I see you. I'm going to come back up. Uh Yeah. So you're just noticing it sooner and sooner. And sooner and sooner until we're now. It's just kind of steady state. Everything Mm -hmm. survives, survives. But as soon as we recognize that we're down, we need to reverse that and go up. We need to gladden the mind to feel uh, sukha, to feel pity. And that pity is um, uh, the uh, 
the feeling of success. I can do this. <gasps> out it goes. Mm-hmm. Out it goes. Out that anxiety goes. Breathing out, and I feel really good. Okay, so that's the. Uh, the sick is do. the. Sick is the satisfaction. The satisfaction of the success of I can let that stuff go. Okay. Now I can let still, that stuff go. It still may be at 50%, but gosh, look, we've gotten rid of half the stuff already, just with one or two breaths. Okay, and what's, and sorry, what's the PD again? PD is like kind of the energy. PD the is the feeling of success, the can-do oh, attitude. Of okay. uh, uh, the kind of feeling, a lot of people don't really understand pity like that, but let us use the word pity in the sense of what's the best you can feel? If you feel the really, really best, what's the top of the line? The top of the line for feelings is the feeling of success and satisfaction. There are no feelings higher than that. Mm, it might be slightly different than what I'm thinking of success. Okay, and so you, you need me a feeling that's higher than success and satisfaction of success. Uh, I mean, I think I would land in the same place as probably what you're describing, but like, I feel like success is like, ah, I got it. But then there's always, it always like kind of bites you back in the end. And then there's like kind of a downside. Well, how about the success that doesn't bite? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. If we remove all downsides then yeah. Okay. So success, uh, the reason that I'm mentioning it that way, or let me give you this example. Why do we have Olympics? See who the like the best in the sport is, I guess, or? Yeah, but who's the best? Whoever, like, whoever competes in the sport, the best? Okay, let us ask it this way. The guy who won, the guy who's the best, how does he feel? Pretty good. Come on, how does he feel? I mean, like a winner? I mean. (laughs) Okay. He feels like the champion. Like, he's got this. Like he's on top of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what I'm getting at. This is what pity is. It's the feeling of success, the feeling of I got this wired, the feeling of I'm on top of the world. It's the feeling of got it. I mean, like, if I had to, why not, why not, like, uh, everything's okay, like, or just like equanimity or something like that, or just being like, you know, I mean, I feel like that's like everything that's okay. Then is the satisfaction that arises with pity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just draw this analogy. Imagine that you've got a boxing match, and at the end of the boxing match, never mind any details of the boxing match. At the end of the boxing match, you have a winner and you have a loser. Mm-hmm. Believe me, the loser. When the fight is over, he's really glad it's over. Mm-hmm. He's satisfied that the fight is over. Because now he's not getting beat up anymore. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, success in this task makes a lot of sense. So like, there yeah, is like, success in the, in the loser. He's satisfied that the fight's over. Yeah. But he doesn't feel as good as the winner. Mm-hmm. The winner's glad the fight's over, oh, but it's also he's successful. Mm-hmm. That like what oh, they see. what they did it worked. Um, 
yeah, he, that, did, he did the work that needed to be done, and now yeah. the job is well done to where the other guy, the loser, he lost. The job is finished, but it's not well done. Mm-hmm. So this is where the Buddha talks about the job well done. And we have the satisfaction of doing the job that needed to be done. We're successful at that job. This is pity. Hmm. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just quibbling or quibbling. I don't know how to say that word. But. Well, our culture doesn't have a whole lot of this stuff. We don't think about these things very much. Yeah, I guess just like when, when you first brought like I get, I get what you're going for. When you first brought it up, maybe I was just being too critical and being like, oh, well, like in that case, like if you're thinking about success, like, Ooh, you're going to be like, oh, I won this way. I, like, I'm Michael Phelps. Like, I won the race, but like, I've got to get back to like, you know, I'm exhausted, but I still got to keep training like the next day or something like that. Or like, ooh, well, gotta, like in this case, what we're talking about is the satisfaction of having jo- the job. Yeah, I get it. Like, job well done makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, there's like that success, like, that is a good quality. Like, when you know, when you win something or like, yeah, you, the work you did paid off. Yes, you got paid, the real pay, not the paycheck, but the you got the payoff. Yeah, and you're like, well, maybe not proud of it, but like, yeah, this is this is a good work. Like, it's not just like, oh, you like limped through it. It's like, no, you, hundred percent, you did it. It worked. Mm-hmm. So that's um, what they call the thrill of uh, victory. That whenever, and you can see this in so many, many different places. You can see it at the Olympics. You can see it at the boxing match. You can see it when the uh, the tribes are fighting. Yeah. The victors always threw their hands in the air and shout in victorious voices. Mm-hmm. They're the victors. They won. Look at my hands. <laughs> you know, this is the way that we begin to live our lives as if you're the champion of your life. Be nice. You're the you're the you're the victor here. You're the you're the dude. Okay. Um this is that feeling that we're talking about is the feeling that people want bad enough to train for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. They want to have that feeling, that feeling of exhilaration, that feeling of um, ad, not necessarily adulation from the outside. It's the adulation that we can give ourselves on the inside for having won, for having done the deed. Yeah. Sorry, my puppies, they're just running amok. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if you can see them on the screen. But, yeah, that'd be wonderful if we could, like... Um, be victorious in our day-to-day lives and just with a simple breath as opposed to i don't know being michael phelps that's a little bit more of a stretch right because in this feeling of victory in this feeling of success that we have of dealing with the anxiety mm-hmm. become a victor over it i've got it it may not be finished off yet but look at the success that i've gotten so far yeah, and then in that way, you'd be able to walk through life with a, you know, a little bit more agency, like being happy. Well, maybe be, like when things arise, you feel like you can deal with them as opposed to. 
Right. So that attitude, then I can do this one too. If I can do that, if I can get rid of half of the anxiety and get rid of the rest of it too. Yeah. Next breath. (laughs) And one more breath. breath. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed sitting like, (laughs) you know, if you deal with one and then another emotion pops up, there's a little bit more like, ah, yeah, I can do this. There's another one. I can do that one too. I can do this. Mm. That's the cultivation of the feeling of pity. It's a feeling. It's a feeling of satisfaction based in success. But in fact, the Buddha gives a list of these, and in the Pali Dictionary, the word um, idia is defined this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Pali word idia pada. The word pada here is like a pedestal or the foundation. Uh, and the, the foundation or the base of uh, spiritual power is these four items that you find on the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is investigation and effort and uh, um, uh, waking up, mindfulness and the attitude. And with those four, uh, like, the four ho- like the four legs of a horse, have power together Mm -hmm. and so it gives you the power and this power the idea is referred to as spiritual power now there's there's a similar word in the uh, sanskrit called cities and these are the magical spiritual powers we're not talking about magical spiritual powers and the magical spiritual powers you probably heard of uh, diving in the dirt and swimming as if it were in the water, walking on water, walking through walls. Clear that audience. sounds pretty cool. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty cool as a concept, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But there is real power that can be had. You can, with the foundations of mindfulness, you can uh, uh, bring up these powers. The first power is the power of feeling secure. Things are not dangerous. Feeling uh, safe. Things are not dangerous. Feeling content and satisfied. And now the next one is this feeling of success. And then one more I'm going to add on top of that to, to, uh, to crown it all off, and that is the feeling of wealth. Mm-hmm. Feeling wealthy. Guess what? Most rich people, even when they talk about having wealth, they don't feel wealthy. They feel like they want more money. More and more and more. Someday, if I get enough money, I'll finally feel secure and safe and healthy and uh, wealthy. And it doesn't happen. Because of the habit of wanting. And so they continue in the habit of wanting. They continue to have the anxiety, thinking the anxiety itself is going to help them get wealthy. But all it gets them is money. Yeah, they don't have the inner qualities. Or the... Doesn't have that inner quality of really, really wealth. And that this wealth is actually the quality that we want to generate in uh, uh, 
the let us call it the Dhamma crowd. Those that are people who are interested in the Buddha Dhamma, we we work on a model of generosity hmm. rather than a business model. A business model is you pay for what you get. The model of it, the more it costs, the better it is. You know, that's the model of business. This is the model of wealth. That it just leaks out. Yeah. Uh, The analogy that I would use is uh, when we first start practicing Dhamma, we're like an empty bucket. And that we begin to turn on the Dhamma tap. And we slowly, slowly, slowly begin to fill up with the Dhamma, just like a bucket slowly, slowly, slowly fills up with the tap on. But pretty soon, the bucket becomes full of it. And what is it going to do? It's going to leak out over the top in all directions. So the wealth is like the impact that you have on the people around you. That's the impact that you're going to have on the people around you with the Dhamma. And that impact that you're going to have actually has a particular label. Hmm. These are the Brahma Viharas or Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka is exactly the Dhamma that leaks out of us. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm- I'm super glad that it there's like a wealth that helps the people around you. Mm-hmm. So um, once we have joy on the inside, we naturally meet other people in joy. And let us say that you've got a father-in-law or a dad or someone who is just constantly grumpy. What are the options? Number one option is to go be grumpy with him. Another option is to avoid him. Mm. But the, uh, the, the option that we generally don't have is to go and be joyful with him. He grumps you joy. He grumps you joy. He grumps a little less and he's he beginning to smile and you joy some more. And pretty soon he's coming out of his grump. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be the best but option. Most people don't have that much joy. Believe me, people who are grumpy, they their grump is like a donut that they're eating. It's so delicious to be grumpy. Hmm. But you've got to be even more delicious joy. And so this is the way that we start dealing with the world, but we have to have it. We have to have that bucket full of Dhamma so that it does leak out. Hmm. Okay, so we can we cultivate the inner joy like we... I guess, like, deal with whatever's going on in our world, and then eventually we have enough kind of joy that it, like, leaks out to the world around us. Or overflows, right. You meet the whole world with joy. Hmm. And so they grump, and you joy, and they grump a little less, and you joy a little more, and they grump a little less, and you joy a little more, and pretty soon they're getting joy, too. I feel like it usually happens the opposite way, or, like... Somebody's it always grumpy, happens and then the other I'm way. I'm feeling good, and then it's like, oh no, I'm feeling grumpy right. now too. He comes in and and uh, serves you grumpy donuts, and you think they're delicious, and so you start eating grumpy donuts too. Yeah, that sounds like heaven. <laughs> yeah, indifferent or not indifferent, but joyful, like in uh, even when the people around you aren't joyful, or like mm-hmm. if you could spread that, even if like you could notice they're 
not joyful, if you could maintain your joyfulness and then also spread that to them. Right. So this means that we have to have it on the inside, which builds up practice over time. The mm -hmm. very same joy that you have in dealing with the anxiety, aha, is going down. Aha, I see you, anxiety, you're getting less. Or where is you guys? Anxiety is gone now. Aha. That same joy then is how you're going to deal with the world. Mm -hmm. Because they, the grumpy guy has all of that same anxiety. Now, you're not yeah, going I to mean, cure him of his grumpiness. You're just going to meet him in this moment to bring him out of grumpiness. Maybe he's asking you eventually, how can you stay so happy all the time? And you say, sit down, I got a couple of things to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that way you can spread it around or like you could, oh uh, yeah, just make people's days a little better. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about it. We can talk about the Brahma Viharas more. In fact, there is worth a whole series of talks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I this, definitely confused them in the past a whole lot. Um, yeah, I think we talked about them in briefly, but yeah, that'd be wonderful to talk with you about those in detail. Okay. Well, right now we're going to deal with anxiety. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Watch it, look at it, notice it, breathe into it. Mm -hmm. Recognize that, hey, I could be free from this. That is not solid. Mm-hmm. That it moves around, that it can be picked up, that a little bit of it can be uh, washed away with a breath and a little bit more of it can be washed away with another breath. And getting up and walking around helps anxiety. Yeah. Just take a walk. That'll help anxiety. Yeah, you that goes back out to the walk. You can say, hey, the anxiety, it doesn't feel so much anymore. The tightness in the chest is breaking up. Yeah, it's not just the meditation. It's like, yeah, you can take wise actions and get up, take a walk, you can do things, go for a hike to improve. Yeah, just <laughs> like, a, yeah, I don't know, improve our physicality or whatever. Exactly, exactly. And also, the thoughts that brought on anxiety are now no longer the kinds of thoughts we're having now. Now we're having thoughts of, the anxiety and getting uh, the anxiety out and uh, anapanasati and investigation and all of those kind of thoughts now are very wholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. Normally the anxiety comes because we were having unwholesome thoughts that we weren't mindful of. Yeah. By unwholesome thoughts, you mean like, it doesn't mean just like verbal thoughts. Doesn't have to be verbal thoughts, no. Be like a... A thought of like, oh, the tightness in the chest or thought of, I don't know, a tiger attack. I got to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> the thought of, oh, I got to go get up out of bed and put my clothes on and go to work and I don't want to go to work yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's like everything that comes with that package. It's not just like the, <laughs> the words in your head. Mm -hmm. And so um, being aware to wake up. How quickly can you wake up to that anxiety? The quicker you wake up, the less of it there's going to be. Let us say it like this, that you have a certain thought pattern that creates anxiety and you have that thought pattern for five minutes, you're going to build up a lot of anxiety in five minutes. But if you can catch that thought pattern after only one minute, now you only have one fifth of the anxiety to deal with. Yeah. The sooner you catch it, the less you have to deal with. You mm -hmm. can go deal with, I don't know, the 
all the other baggage. So the sooner you can wake up to this stuff, the easier it is to deal with because there's not so much of it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't build up. And then we can take those deep breaths and give ourselves good, happy thoughts. Oh, wow, I'm free from anxiety now. I'm glad I caught that. Those are the kind of thoughts. And then you can have the thought of, wow, this is third noble truth. No anxiety here. I can see there's no anxiety. Mm -hmm. Spend some time looking at it and what does it feel like when you do feel good? Yeah. What does it feel like? Free of anxiety. No anxiety. There's none here. <laughs> Free from fear. There's no fear. I'm not there's no fear here. Free from anger. There's no bad feelings at all. Isn't that marvelous? Yeah. Third devil truth. Just remembering. Well, when we're in that state, we don't give ourselves credit for it. It's true. Yeah. You only need to Yeah, you only notice when you're Feeling bad. Mm -hmm. So wake up to the fact that you feel really good sometimes, too. How do you, do you like take a deep breath or do you just? Always a deep breath. Oh, wow, okay. it feels Always. good. Yeah. All right, well, we'll talk about Brahma Viharas next time. I think that we've come to a conclusion on this talk. Yeah, well, thanks a ton. Have a good week. All right. We'll see you later. I'm going to go see what my puppies are up to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. I can tell <laughs> he was a brown one. Looks like a lab. Yeah, she's a golden retriever. Yeah, she's, <laughs> they're getting into trouble all the time. Well, yeah, have a good evening. Thanks a ton. I really appreciate your time. See Bye. you.